Welcome to another Alignment Discussions podcast broadcast from the Conscious Creators platform. We're an educational platform for awakening creators who are learning to live in alignment with their spiritual nature. Um, A Conscious Creator's purpose is to live in alignment with our spiritual nature and help others to do the same. We realize this purpose by fulfilling our fundamental need for wholeness and joy. Wholeness can be viewed as living in truth. When someone is whole, they are complete. This completeness is maintained by honoring and evolving one's authentic understanding of truth. This means that their thoughts, words, and actions are aligned with this understanding as it evolves. Their spoken words bring wisdom and strength. They live in truth rather than in delusion or denial. They possess accurate self-appraisal. They have a strong sense of right and wrong. In other words, they have their own moral compass. They don't adhere to other people's conscience. Joy, and they don't adhere to other people's conscience. They honor their own intuitive connection to the consciousness of being, so to that deeper spiritual essence within. Joy can be viewed as living in love. When someone is joyous, they are in a state of spiritual love and bask in the subtle yet invigorating sensation. This love is only available from one's true internal soulmate. This internal union with one's spiritual essence radiates an unquenchable well-being that cannot be found through substances or human relationships alone. Wholeness and joy are the result of living in spiritual alignment. Our process is outlined in the following set of measures. Number one, we recognize those habit patterns which undermine our purpose. So those are going to be fearful habit patterns, patterns of survival, patterns of behavior, patterns of thinking, patterns of decision making that are all based on avoiding or somehow um, bracing up against or turning away from perceived threats threatening and dangerous situations that our minds are perceiving but are not necessarily accurately true. All right, the second the second measure is we begin to cultivate a curious and receptive mind. That's a very different mind than a mind that's cynical or fearful and uh, unconscious. Uh, the third step, we accept the possibility of new life-affirming experiences. Four, we gain awareness of our self-defeating habit patterns. Self-defeating is defined as undermining our purpose and welfare. So any habit pattern of thought and action that we indulge in compulsively, automatically, and unthinkingly undermines our purpose and welfare, and we must gain awareness of those habit patterns. Number five, we acknowledge the true nature of our self-defeating habit patterns. Number six, we bring our perspective, which we define as our attitude and our outlook, into alignment with our spiritual nature. And we do that through a very specific and deliberate spiritual practice in six called the alignment mantras. Number seven, we commit to acting upon the insights of a conscious and creative mind. Now the insights of a conscious and creative mind are very different than the projections of an unconscious and fearful mind. So being able to make the distinction of what kind of mindset we are in possession of moment to moment is very important for conscious creators. So to be able to make the distinction and to recognize when some sort of a triggering event has caused us to become reactive, to become fearful, and to become unconsciously coupled with or unconsciously enmeshed with 
these undermining habit patterns, habit patterns that do not enable us to see with spiritual clarity, to see with spiritual insight, and to see through eyes of love and truth. Instead, we see through eyes of fear. And those eyes of fear compel us to either control others or be controlled by others. And so that's a big problem a lot of us face in modern society. All right. Uh, that's number seven. We commit to acting upon the insights of a conscious and creative mind. Eight, which has been the focus the last couple of podcasts, we create space by releasing what no longer serves us. We create space for what? We create space for new life-affirming experiences. And we create that space by surrendering our investment in creating and recreating familiar yet self-defeating experiences. And, and that means you know, indulging in familiar yet self-defeating habit patterns of thought and action. And as we do that, we do create the space to, number nine, consciously create new life-affirming experiences that fulfill our fundamental needs. And we get into what those fundamental needs are as spiritual beings having human experiences in the book. But this is a spiritual practice. This isn't some, it is a philosophy. It's a spiritual philosophy, but more importantly, it's a practical spiritual practice. And it's a practice that as people engage in, they gain access to spiritual consciousness, and the spiritual consciousness gently, lovingly, consistently, and uh, precisely updates that person's thinking. It's like if they, you have, we had an outdated operating system. If we were running Windows XP, for example, as we do these mantras and as we tap into spiritual consciousness, we're tapping into intelligence that's at the furthest most front line of our evolutionary process and as we interact with that intelligence and we we download that intelligence into our own operating system into our own high, hard, hard drive and what what happens for us is we begin to update our thinking we begin to override um self-defeating, obsolete thinking processes that had kept had kept us many of us addicted confused in self-defeating relationships, you know, indulging in patterns of behavior that left us feeling anxious, depressed, suicidal, all kinds of things. So we get locked into these patterns and they, these patterns become us and we be, they begin to possess us and then they drain us of all human potential and all desire for creativity and connection. And then basically we're left as, you know, very different versions of ourselves than we were born into this world to be. So this is a spiritual practice. So after achieving physical abstinence, many of us find that our established habit patterns continue to create unnecessary suffering. As recovering individuals, we need to do something about the habit patterns that keep us in fear and unable to create nor embrace new life-affirming experiences. Without addressing these habit patterns, we will be unable to live in alignment with our purpose. We can intervene upon these ha undermining habit patterns by engaging the way of the conscious creator. Engaging this practice brings our habit patterns of thought, the habitual patterns of thought that support fear into a dormant state, much like chemotherapy shrinks tumors or medication can make a virus undetectable. This helps many to overcome their intellectual resistance and develop the capacity to have a direct personal experience. Now, hold on a second, because I'm having some throat 
throw it at you. A direct personal experience. What kind of personal experience are we talking about here? Because that's really important. Am I having a, a a spiritual experience, a human experience? Is it a life-affirming experience that brings optimism and a state of fulfillment? Is it a self-defeating experience? Well, it's a direct spiritual experience is what we're talking about here. And what happens with unconscious creators as they move through life and they indulge in these ingrained automatic habit patterns, both neuropathways in the brain and actual observable patterns of action, they create these patterns. They become um, they become increasingly more um, automated. They become more automatic. There's less conscious choice involved in their decision making process. They just kind of, you know, the rubber mallet hits the kneecap and the leg lifts up. It's just kind of like that. And so, and there's so much intellectual resistance inside of a person's brain, and that intellectual resistance is threefold. It's um, it's ingrained thought patterns it's impressions stored within the person's receptive mind and for those who are just tuning in for the first time we equate the receptive mind to the subconscious mind okay so we look at the receptive mind as a storage device where we store thought impressions and if that storage device is corrupted with thousands upon thousands of fearful thought thought impressions, then the person who is in possession of that receptive mind, they're going to have a corrupted hard drive and their operating system is going to be bugged because of it, their operating system, which would be their personality. And so the only thing that can happen to a human's personality, their fundamental personality, their basic personality, the personality they're born into this world with, the part of that, their personality that's really a the physical observable extension of their spiritual consciousness, that personality can be worsened. Much like an operating system that comes right off of the factory for um, back in the day. But let's say we create a brand new operating system. It's debugged. We install it. Everything's good. It's running beautifully. That's like the equivalent of like a, a toddler's mind. And then as you know, things start to happen. You know, there's moments of neglect, there's moments of trauma, there's moments of uncertainty, there's consistent exposure to that person, that, that, that child has consistent exposure to the learned behaviors and the suggestions of the people that are influencing it. And over time, that basic personality, that basic operating system gets worsened. It becomes more corrupted and more fearful. There becomes more and more intellectual resistance in the form of what we call an unconscious personal identity. And that unconscious personal identity manifests and expresses itself as an avatar. And if that avatar is run off of fear and trauma and neglect from the past, it's going to be called a trauma avatar. And so many people are living life from the perspective of that unconscious identity and that trauma avatar. And that has consequences. That the consequences, the most dire of consequences, is the fact that that individual can no longer adequately access their spiritual nature. They can no longer adequately vibrate in alignment with the consciousness of their own being. So that person is actually a spiritual being who is gifted a physical body to come into this physical realm and have an experience 
to be able to learn to share and exchange and express creatively love through a human body with emotions and everything else. And so what happens to that spiritual being as they're born into this world and they start to become corrupted and encumbered and constrained by all of these external um, circumstances, they turn away from and they cease to commune with their spiritual nature. And as that occurs, they become more and more of a closed system. They become more and more of a computer that's operating independent without any access to the internet, for example. And so that computer that no longer has access to the World Wide Web, it can't download the necessary updates to function. It starts to um, break down. It starts to have all kinds of issues because it can't update its operating system. It can't update itself. And so that closed system of a person who's now pretty much living in their trauma avatar's identity and that personal narrative that that avatar is stringing along, that avatar story about life and what life is and what life isn't, that's a very subjective idea. <clears throat> Those ideas are only real and true and valid inside that person's head. Those are not the shared truth of, 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 of humanity in general. That's just that human being's truth. And the more fearful that is, and the more, um, yeah, just the more fearful that is, um, the less access that person has to their spiritual nature. And the more that that individual becomes invested in their idea of things, the more that that person becomes invested in their personal narrative. And the more that that person becomes invested in the unconscious identity of their trauma avatar, the more that they become invested in that, the less open and receptive they become to spiritual insight the less open and receptive they become to spiritual wisdom and objective truth because they would rather be right about what they're creating than be wrong and maybe be happy and joyous and whole. So a lot of people die miserable all the time, but they die right. They die believing and thinking that whatever their interpretation of reality is, whatever their own virtual reality within, which we call the personal narrative, that that was true. And so they have some degree of self-satisfaction knowing that they died and they were right. And so in every once in a while, or quite often actually, that moment of truth comes to people at the end of their life and they realize that they were not, that, that thing that they've been dragging through the years and across the continent, that, that truth of theirs that they've been you know, carefully crafting and nurturing and nourishing, that was not true at all. In fact, it was something that was a huge encumbrance and something that was limiting their access to actual infinite truth. And so when that moment of reckoning comes, that's, that's a tough room to be in, boy, because those people have a lot of regret and remorse and they realize, oh boy, I've just been living in a fantasy land for the last 40 years and everything I believed just wasn't true. And then boom, they're gone. They, they get liberated, they, they leave their body, their spirits get to return from to wherever they go, they, they go to, whatever your particular religious belief is about that, that's what happens after they leave, their, their spiritual essence leaves that physical um, body. And so that's what we're dealing with here. And so... That's what we're dealing with. So we're getting rid of all that intellectual resistance so that spiritual being can once again commune with its own spiritual nature.
rather than being that closed system that's all corrupted and fearful and closed off from the spirit, the nourishing, expansive energies of our universal atom. If that person's closed off to that and braced up against that, they can't access those nourishing and expansive energies and they cannot evolve their own spiritual consciousness and they cannot develop and you know, they can't develop their, um, their, um, you know, their, as an, as an individual either. So they can't develop as individuals and they can't evolve uh, their spiritual consciousness. And things stagnate and things start to break down. And that's the, you know, the old fables and the, the religions about, you know, selling our soul, you know. And the main thing is to the, the most important thing for any human being walking the planet is to maintain the integrity of their spiritual nature. And so that's what our process does. It enables the practitioner to um, focus on a specific set of mantras that gets their brain to stop focusing on, you know, it, it retrains the brain, it redirects the brain's focus on a daily basis to focus upon these desired possibilities that all are in alignment with and vibrate in a harmonious accordance with our spiritual nature. And so as we start to go in and like, like the literature says here, as we go into, you know, we intervene upon our undermining habit patterns, you know, in a similar way to how chemotherapy would shrink tumors or medication can make a virus undetectable, we create the mental space to start to feel that subtle, invigorating, unquenchable well-being of that spiritual sensation of love from the consciousness of our being. And so as we start to fill up with that love and that joy again, as we start to become complete and whole again, all these external mechanisms of addiction and enticements cease to have a stranglehold on us because they don't have the same value because our baseline has changed. Our baseline is no longer this internal void of incompletion. We're no longer in this perpetual state of needing something outside of ourselves because somehow we've lost connection with and we are not communing with our spiritual soulmate within. We're back in alignment with that energy. We are communing with our spiritual soulmate. And now, you know, drugs and alcohol and all these other things that we were using to regulate the dysregulation, the emotional dysregulation that came with this internal emptiness well, we don't have the emptiness anymore, so these mechanisms don't have the same appeal or the same strength as they did before. So, and then, and specifically within our process, we've been talking a lot in the eighth measure. And the eighth measure is really interesting because it's the one measure where we're, you know, and I'm actually going to pray real quick. So I'm going to pray, you know, spiritual consciousness of love and truth. I pray to you today. I acknowledge your presence within me. I uh, Please inspire my thoughts and guide my actions. Please expand my uh, current perspective. Please show me and teach me what I need to learn right now about the content we're going to be talking about so that I can be an adequate instrument through which we can communicate this in this a book that's coming up. Please utilize me for your purposes. Please inspire my thoughts and guide my actions. Okay, so the seventh, eighth, and ninth measure 
is where all spiritual communion um, begins. The sixth measure is bringing our attitude and our outlook into alignment with our spiritual nature. So just getting into alignment with something allows us to then make contact and then initiate a process of communication. And with those initial communications, so think about a relationship. So if you were to, if you had a desire to live in alignment with um, better physical health, for example, well, you would bring yourself into alignment with people who could help you heal your body people who have wisdom and could help you sift through all the habits that you've created that have caused you to have poor health and that cause you to be on specific medications that are causing you to be immobile and to watch your body break down. And so if you were to bring yourself into alignment with that idea or that desire for better health and well-being, you would bring yourself over to a holistic, uh, let's say, for example, you bring yourself into alignment by, you know, looking for and attending a holistic health conference. Let's say there's one in Santa Barbara and you found one. There's going to be 500 different holistic practitioners there. And it's a one day thing and they're all going to offer free services and one time deals and give you all their wisdom for free. And so you find this thing and you bring yourself into alignment by actually going and attending that things. So that's where you make contact with that desired possibility. So if my desired possibility is that I want to live in spiritual wholeness and joy, and I want to commune with my spiritual nature, then I would like very much to be able to tap into and gain spiritual insight and allow those spiritual insights to influence my decision making so that I'm able to create beyond the mold of my conditioning. Well, I would, you know, knock out all the thought patterns that were causing me to live out of alignment with those possibilities. And once I was able to bring myself into alignment with that spiritual nature, then I'm going to make contact in a similar way to that person who's striving for better health would make contact with that holistic health conference. And once we make contact, we're going to start to communicate with it. We're going to start to ask questions. We're going to start to um, let our thoughts and desires and needs be known. We're going to say, you know, we're going to invite spiritual consciousness into our hearts and into our minds. We're going to say, hey, look, I need some help here. Can you help me? I'm, uh, I've led myself astray. I've created all these ideas about myself and these beliefs that are just super um, self-defeating and inaccurate. Give me a sec. What's up, Jennifer? Hello? What's happening, buddy? Not much, buddy. No, not much. Just in the middle of recording a podcast. Do you mind if I give you a call back in like maybe 10 or 15? Okay, cool. I'll hit you back. Thanks. Bye. That's a very special person who I just wanted to. That's yet you just got to be in the flow of life. I've been trying to get in touch with her for a little bit. She's a, a great, great woman. Her name is Jennifer, and. Uh, just want to make sure and pick up the phone and, and give 
give her a call back. And so getting back to the stream of thought that we were in. So, you know, making the connection with spiritual consciousness and then starting to communicate with spiritual consciousness, that's the seventh measure. And then we're starting, once we start to communicate with, and that, that largely is to being able to make, the, to activate discernment and to be able to distinguish when we are receiving a spiritual insight and when we are receiving a mental projection. And for many of us, that's paramount. And for many of us, it's really hard for us to do that. When we've been perpetually living in a fearful state of mind, um, mental projections, fearful mental projections are very familiar to us. They're much more familiar with us and easy for us to act upon than spiritual insights. Spiritual insights may be more within the realm of the kind of things that we want to move forward with, just basic things. Like if I've just walk past a, a, a sink full of really dirty dishes and I keep the dishes dirty just so I can kind of flog myself with them and say, look, what a procrastinator I am. Or look, what a, what a dirt ball I am. Look at the sink, you know? And then, you know, I'm used to just, all right, when I walk by the sink and I have these dishes, that voice being like, fuck it, throw another one in there, dirt ball. That would be a fearful projection. Now, spiritual insight would be like, wash six dishes right now nurture yourself you know wash away a little bit of the power that's behind that belief that you're a procrastinator or that you're somehow a dirtball do that with action now it would be a spiritual insight it would be foreign to that person because they've already established the pattern of leaving their house in disarray and not only in disarray but having that be the physical um the observable evidence that they can use to um flog themselves with. So the seventh measure is about activating discernment and being able to recognize a spiritual insight from a fearful mental projection. And so, and it's pra it's a practice. It's a practice. We're going to do all kinds of silly stuff and we're going to, you know, think it's a, it's a an insight when it's really not. And, we're just going to be learning as we go across. There's no wrong way to do this. But the point is, is we're establishing connection through the actual spiritual practice. Every day we're now saying prayers and we're inviting spiritual consciousness into our hearts and into our minds. We're asking it to help us maintain our conscious uh, awareness and our frequency of vibration so we can live in alignment with this particular possibility. And there's 21 possibilities that we're bringing forth and bringing into existence. And so, as we continue to say those those um, alignment mantras, we continue to communicate with spiritual consciousness. And before long, we're communing with spiritual consciousness. And as we start to commune with spiritual consciousness, now we're building a relationship with it. It's much like going to that holistic uh, health fair. And, you know, we make we get into alignment by bringing our desire and our will into alignment with it. We go there, we drive, we get our ticket, we walk inside. Then we start to communicate with, we find our vendors that are really calling out to us, things we really need to work on. And then we start having these in-depth conversations with these people. We start to commune with these people that we're really comfortable with. We're doing the same thing with our spiritual nature. And as we commune with it, and we actually build a working relationship, that intellectual resistance starts to, 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 to melt away because we're now having a direct spiritual experience. Does that make sense? Of course it does. 
So for someone who's never done that and never had that and doesn't understand just how practical spiritual consciousness, just how practical our spiritual nature is, for someone who doesn't understand that and thinks it's this like hokey pokey thing in the sky or it's some kind of unicorn thing, our spiritual consciousness, our spiritual nature and the spiritual insights that that nature provides us are very practical and accessible. All it wants to do is help us become more adequate instru instruments through which spiritual love can be given and, and, and received. So for most unconscious creators who are living in their fear-driven trauma avatar, they're inadequate instruments of life force expression. They're inadequately giving and receiving spiritual love in a human body. So they're not even vibrating in that frequency. They're out of alignment with that possibility. And instead they're projecting fear and they're allowing people to fear, project fear on them. And it's making them sick and it's turning them crazy. And after a while, everyone has their own degree of tolerance with that. Some kids grow up with an intolerant or a very strict parent. And you know, within four or five years of that parent coming down and being hard on that boy for whatever reason, because of where that parent came from or whatever, that kid just flips out and he, he, he not only can't get back and gain access to his spiritual nature anymore, but he, like, he, he's, well, he's no longer in alignment with his spiritual nature. He can no longer even get back and um, he, he, he lacks the capacity to ever return to spiritual communion again. And that person is going to continue to fight his whole life with mental, uh, mental illness and physical illness and slow degeneration because he doesn't have access to that stream of well-being. Uh, and that person's tolerance was very low. And so he lost his ability to commune with spiritual uh, consciousness at a very young age. Other people can go through all kinds of stuff. They can endure world wars. They can do all kinds of things. And they never lose their capacity to live in alignment with that stream of spiritual well-being. So that needs to be understood. So we really don't know when someone's just going to wake up and have one too many fearful thoughts or fearful projections and they're just going to lose it and they're not going to be able to get back. Their machinery is going to, um, their machinery is now too corrupted to, um, enable that individual to commune with their spiritual nature. And that's a sad day, but it happens every day. And so the purpose of our work we're doing here is to do everything in our power to restore our operating system, which is our human mind, back to its original factory settings, back to that, you know, that, that personality essence that we were born in to the world with, that personality essence that was connected to all that potential and that magic, that innocence and that well-being and that wonderment. So getting us reconnected to that by knocking out everything that's corrupted it and worsened it throughout the years of living on life, living life on earth in this human body and giving and receiving fear to each other. All right. And then, um, as we, we learn to commune with our spiritual nature in seven, we, we learn about discernment. We learn the difference between a fearful projection and a, and a, and a conscious insight. We learn about how, you know, just, really practical and accessible our spiritual nature is. So that means we kind of get rid of all of our weird fabled ideas about it. You know, like we get rid of all of our like superstition and all of our magical thinking about it. We bring it down to a practical and useful level. And then we move out into the world in eight and we, and, and the eighth measure is we, you know, we're going to create space for new life affirming experiences 
and specifically new life-affirming experiences. New means that it's never happened before. Life-affirming experience means that it invokes a sense of wholeness and joy, which means that it's going to be fulfilling fundamental needs that spiritual beings have on earth inside human bodies. Because a spiritual being has a set of fundamental needs that they must nurture and nourish on a regular basis. Otherwise, they become sick and they start to die. And they die mentally, they die physically, they die emotionally. But they, you know, they, they start to shut down and they start to atrophy and they start to become more and more engrossed in the human form. They immerse themselves more and more in physical matter and their little spark of light, that little spark of spiritual well-being, that spark of spiritual magic that they were born in the world with gets more and more dampened and pretty soon you can't see it at all. And then there's just no one home when you look in their eyes. And so in eight, we're going out and we're, we're basically saying that there are um, there are things that no longer serve us anymore, and they're not just in our human mind. They're not just these beliefs and these thought patterns, and, and they're not just these uh, you know mental constructs. They are actual structures. They're actual dynamics that we share to people, places, and things in the world. They're actual physical relationships we have to and with human beings and jobs and communities and substances and all this stuff. We have all these <clears throat> unhealthy attachments to people, places, and things that only exist because we haven't been living in spiritual alignment. That only exist because we have been living in a closed system that has had no access to spiritual well-being. We've been living in a closed system. We've been op we've been you you creating our life with an operating system that has no internet um, functionality. It hasn't been able to receive and transmit with the spiritual universe. It hasn't been able to upload or download adequately in order to commune with that spiritual universe. And so as a result, we've created all these entanglements and these unhealthy relationships to people, places, and things. And now that we have the tools to maintain our vibrational integrity, to maintain our spiritual well-being, we can go out into the world and we can start to recognize what we've created through this new set of eyes. We can't do that until now because we haven't had the tools to make ourselves, to keep ourselves spiritually fit, to keep ourselves vibrating in alignment with our spiritual nature. We have to keep ourselves in alignment with the kind of vision that can see objectively and see, oh, I won't be able to maintain spiritual alignment. I won't be able to maintain my spiritual integrity if I continue to participate in this relationship. And sometimes it's the relationship as a whole that needs to go. Other times it's the relationship. There's aspects of that relationship that need to go. But overall, that particular person each individual will need to move out into the world and start making some hard decisions about what doesn't serve them anymore. And it's not something you do all at once. Sometimes it's like, oh, okay, this smoking thing really doesn't serve me anymore. You know, I have to create space to release this habit of cigarette smoking. It does not serve me. And other times it'll be like this relationship or this place I'm living in or this relationship I'm sharing with this person I'm living in or this like just this, there's all these things will come to light and it never stops happening because we never stop growing spiritually. 
as we're tapping into the spiritual universal atom and we're tapping into our spiritual essence, we're tapping into that wellness of that, that spiritual well-being and it's continuing to expand our spiritual nature. And as that expansion happens, we're going to be having all new kinds of awarenesses of things that we desire to experience. And as we recognize those desires of these things that we want to experience, these God-given desires, we're going to actually see the things that we, the systems and the structures that we've created unconsciously that keep us from realizing and embracing and embodying that desire. And so that's really what eight's all about is initiating that process of, you know, really owning what our desires are and really owning what we've created unconsciously that keeps us out of vibrational alignment with those specific desires. And so, and that's a lifelong process. But as we go in and we let go of something, kind of whole, as we go in and let go of something, like myself with smoking, it's like I did the mantra of just, I just love singing rather than smoking. I love being a singer rather than a smoker. So as I created the space for the cigarette smoking habit to be relieved from me, and it was relieved from me, there was a spiritual entity, there was some sort of a greater power that came in and helped me uh, just take, it was taken from me. I was able to create the space to begin to craft and cultivate these songs. And I've been making these songs for about five years now. And now I'm starting to work with people to put, you know, music composition to them. They're not great songs. They're good. I mean, they're good songs. I love them. And I love making music. I mean, even if I'm not quite a, I mean, of course I'm a musician. Even if it's not as evolved as I'd like it to be, I have faith that I'm on track. And eventually I'm going to do something with this music and I'm going to share it with people. And it's going to bring joy to myself and to others. And it's going to bring a whole lot more joy than smoking cigarettes, turning away from that desire to sing. You know, imagine if I was still just smoking cigarettes and flogging myself for not being a singer over the last five years. Those are two different people. You know, it's just like those dirty dishes. You know, it's like, I, yeah, the dirt, the dishes aren't done, but why aren't the dishes done? Well, I keep the dishes from being done so that I can beat myself up about not being some sort of particular way. What's well, the same way with the smoking? Every time I turn away from an opportunity to express myself creatively, um, you flogging myself for being some smoker that never says or does what he wants, you know? And so there's a ritual involved with the cigarette smoking for me. It wasn't just, oh, I'm smoking. Well, I'm a smoker and it means something. And it's the meaning that kills us. And so as we start to go in and we start to knock out these things that don't serve us anymore, we create the space to consciously create experiences that do. So eight and nine are very interchangeable. Um, every time that we surrender our investment in one thing, a space is created to then bring ourselves into alignment with, uh, with our, one of our desires that we could not have brought ourselves into alignment with that desire had we not surrendered our investment in that one thing. So if I was still invested in a habit pattern of smoking cigarettes and turning away from opportunities to express how I felt, state what I needed or let someone know how I felt. At turning away from opportunities to just be vulnerable and truthful and authentic with people and then pacifying myself with cigarettes, that was very much just that ritual alone was keeping me in a non-expressive. It was keeping my, my desire for creative expression just locked down and it was affecting my ability to even entertain the idea 
of creating any kind of songs or doing any kind of songwriting. Because just on a mundane level, as I'm moving through my life, I don't have the capacity to even let someone know how I felt or set a boundary or ask for help or do all these things that require vulnerability and sincerity. I just wasn't willing to do that because I needed control. I needed to seem a certain way. Uh, I was too locked down in fear. So with that, as, as, as that habit pattern was relieved from me, you know, and it, there was a couple of years leading up to that, that I became increasingly better at expressing what I needed and not just turning away and pacifying myself prior to me doing those mantras. So there was a whole bunch of lead up work. I, my desire to stop smoking uh, was replaced by a desire to start singing. My desire to stop smoking was so great, but that habit was so ingrained, it was really hard for me to stop. But once I actually turned on and lit a match of desire for making music, and I started to replace that, then I was able to do something really interesting, which is kind of the crux of the work we're doing here in Conscious Creators. I was able to have a transference of desire from a transference of desire. So I was to be able to transfer my desire to stop doing something onto something that onto a desire to begin doing something else. And so the desire to stop doing something, desire to stop drinking, the desire to stop being an asshole, the desire to stop beating my wife, desire, desire to stop some sort of self-defeating behavior, that's a great place to start. But when we can recognize something, there's a life-affirming desire on the other side of that. So instead of, I have a desire to stop drinking. Oh, okay, what's, what's at the base of that? Well, I don't have enough community. I don't have enough connection. I don't have enough love in my life. I feel a void of incompletion. I'm moving through my life. I'm empty. I'm alone in the world. Okay, so I have a desire for connection. So rather than desire to stop drinking, now becomes a desire for connection. So the desire to stop hitting my wife, well, why am I hitting my wife? Well, because I have unresolved trauma. She triggers my PTSD. Um, I don't know how to express how I feel. I lack any kind of communications. Then I just get frustrated and I hit her and then I compensate with that. And we go through this whole ritual and I don't know how to deal with all that. So I have a desire to be a clear and concise communicator. I, I have a desire to be a sincere and authentic communicator, uh, communic I, I, to be an um, adequate communicator, someone who can communicate their frustrations in the moment. Can, can have active dialogue and communicate with their partner and not let it get to the point where I just rage on someone and, and snap off and hit them. So I have a desire for communication and that desire for greater communication is the transfer is, you know, we transfer that desire to stop hitting our partner onto that desire for clear and um, accurate communication. So we don't need to get so frustrated that we hurt them. So that's what we're doing. We're doing a, a des uh, a desire transference with eight and nine. So we're desiring, we're, we're transferring the desire to stop doing something that we know is self-defeating, that's undermining our purpose, and we're transferring it onto something that's life-affirming, something that invokes a sense of optimism and wholeness and fulfillment about life. And so those are the desires that really have legs in the spiritual universe. Those are the desires that can really, really um, pick up steam and, and, and help us get somewhere. That's all I really got today. That was better than I thought it was going to be. Um, but yeah, I'm just going to abruptly end it because I got to move my car and I got to go to Trader Joe's and I got to do a bunch of things. So that's the end of the transmission today. Thank you for tuning in.